presents a new film by John Hughes, starring Matthew Broderick. Yeah, that's me. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He gives good kids bad ideas. He's such a sweetie. The story of one man's struggle to take it easy. He's a righteous dude. Rated PG-13. Now at a theater near you. Welcome back to Old Millennials Remember Movies. I am Angela Yoshiko, your host, here with my co-host, Tyler Wilson. Welcome, Tyler. Hi, how are you? I am realizing that this thing on my head might be picked up on the microphone. What? Why do you have it on your head? Well, I'm dyeing my hair right now. Okay. I've been meaning to dye it for a while, but Mm -hmm. quarantine got me in this groundhog loop and I can't seem to get anything done. Yeah. But finally doing it, so my head is wrapped in plastic and then wrapped in a shirt, but the plastic... Mm. Sounds like I got a grocery bag flapping around here. You've been busy. I'm a busy been. person. I am an active woman. I've been trying to get this podcast just going, chugging along consistently, but man, you're just a busy person. I, well, yeah, we all know. I mean, all our, you know, consistent listeners know that uh, I struggle with the nighttime because I'm tired. Because you're busy. Because I'm such a... We had to make like an in-house classroom for our children. Yeah, virtual learning 2020s kicked off. We have three kids who are in school, so we had to like make a learning space for them that looked nice and was like clean, which like is hard. Yep. Not just like clean, but like looked good. True. It's honestly the probably, other than your Funko Pop walls, the most best decorated part of the house right now. Yep. I think I put more effort into that room than, like, any other room in the house. And we've lived here for several years now. That's true. That's true. The shit you do for your kids. Yep. Speaking of doing shit for your kids, we're going to talk about Ferris Bueller's Day Off today. Okay. That has... There's a link there. His parents... Yes. And him. We will talk about. But before I rag on Ferris Bueller's Day Off... You're gonna rag on Ferris Bueller's Day Off? A certifiable classic? You're going to rag on it? Yeah. If you don't want to hear me just bitch about it, you might as well turn it off now. I might I might defend it a little bit, so... Of course you fucking will. Just to be anti-me. <laughs> Typical. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm doing. Typical you. I'm taking a movie that is loved by a lot of people, and I'm only liking it because you... Yeah. Typical. Typical Tyler. I'm gonna, I don't even believe you. I think you kind of like the movie. I'm going to let that dead air speak for itself. Okay. So before we talk about Ferris Bueller's Day Off, we will talk about what we've been watching recently. And we have a slew of movies, but we'll try to, you know, keep it as brief as possible. (laughs) We've watched a lot in the last few weeks, though. Um, One thing that we've watched is Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Yes, it's on Netflix. It's the new film written and directed by Charlie Kaufman. He... He's, of course, the screenwriter of Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind, adaptation being John Malkovich, and then he directed his own movies, uh, Synecdoche, New York, and Anomalisa, two movies that are not as well-beloved, but I actually really like. Mm-hmm. I am a Charlie Kaufman fan. Totally. This is maybe his most baffling and potentially difficult movie, I would mm-hmm. probably suspect for most people. It is an adaptation, haha. 
It is of a book, um, which he, I mean, it's very clear that he's taking liberties with. <laughs> which is uh, great. I mean, yeah. I think I'll, I've said it a million times. If someone's going to be inspired by a book or it's based on a book, like, make it a fucking movie. Like, I, I read the book. I don't want to read the book again. I want a movie. Yeah, and it, it does keep uh, most of the important bits of that, but uh, it definitely takes it into a more surreal uh less narratively clear direction, especially in its last half hour. What did you think about this two hour? It's two hours and 15 minutes and it is deliberately uncomfortable. Yeah. So I would say if you're going to flip on the Netflix and watch this, I'm thinking of ending things, um, watch it at night when it's quiet, when you have your phone off so you can pay attention and just like seep yourself in the uncomfortableness because there were so many moments in the first, especially the first like 45 minutes where I was just like, oh, oh, what the fuck? Ugh. Where it's, it's, it's got a feeling of like almost a thriller, but you know, it's not a thriller. So you're just like, or, what the fuck is happening? Or do you? Or is it? Or is it yeah. going to turn? Because I didn't really know anything about this movie, which is, which is a great way to go into it. Didn't even watch the Netflix trailer for it. Yeah, I didn't even watch the trailer, which is a great way to go into it. Just turn it on and be like, what the fuck is happening? Because that's a great, it's a great experience. We don't get to experience that very often of just pure discomfort. Right. Look, I think that uh, I would say even the majority of people who watch it will not like it. That's well, what I would I guess. I think that if you listen to this podcast, then you're probably a pretty cool person. So yeah. you'd probably you'd get something but out of it's, it. It's, it's, it's deliberately difficult. And to the point where the, the discomfort, it, it, I think at the very least, I think someone should at least acknowledge it, it is technically brilliant because the way that it uses so much film language against itself yeah. to make you uncomfortable, the way it cuts, the way it uses sound design of like the windshield wipers. It's the basic premise is that these two, a young couple, newly together couple are driving to meet the, the guy's parents. Mm -hmm. It's a long car ride in the middle of fucking nowhere. Oklahoma. It's a long car ride. And then there's a long, awkward dinner and there's another long car ride. And then it just really goes somewhere. So it, but it's just, you know, our main characters, Jesse, Jesse Buckley, Jesse Plemons are the two people and uh, something seems off about these people mm -hmm. right off the bat. There's very, in, very inconsistent details being revealed to us. And, um, yeah, I, I think literal people who like a literal linear plot and not for them because it's really yeah. not going to give you, uh, that. Now, that being said, I, I just, I don't know about the last 10 minutes. I still don't know. Oh, I, about I, it. I do. It's great. But do it. it. It's, uh, um, I just think it's, he's a brilliant filmmaker. No one else makes movies like this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's probably my, even though I'm unsure about the direction of the last few minutes, I think it's like one of my favorite movies of this weird year. Uh, it's just so strange. I am clearly in the bag for my, you know, I think, a lot of people didn't like Snecktiki, New York, Philip Seymour Hoffman movie, and I, I have been encouraged by how much that has kind of grown in its estimation mm -hmm. by others, because I remember going to see that. We saw it in the theater together, we I think. We did, back in the day. And being like, this is this is probably great, right? But like, what the fuck? What the fuck just happened? <laughs> yeah, and it's... Like, my head hurts, I'm trying to, like, piece it all together. And it's really deepened by multiple viewings. I, I suspect, though, the the subject matter, it can be bleak, and a lot, I could see how no one would, someone would not want to revisit it. I think there's probably a lot of value in revisiting it, and 
watching it from a different mm-hmm. perspective. So what I like about Charlie Kaufman movies is once you're done watching them, mm-hmm. the experience continues. Cause you're like, I wonder what other people took from it or, you know, maybe I didn't piece the pieces together so I can go online and see other people's yeah. like thoughts and ideas. And I feel like that this is the kind of movie where you want to do that in, you know, that's fun. It's an experience. I've, I've read and listened to, um, quite a bit on it and, I I appreciate the praise that I've read and read listened to, but then I've heard people that are just don't like it and it has and read and to me it is only kind of validated my positive feeling about it. You're I'm such like, a contrary, and you're no, like, if, I, if people hate it, then I fucking no, love it. No, and it, not that way. I just the way that they dislike. Oh, I don't like it because of this. And I was like, oh well, that happens to be the reason why I really like it. So yeah. it may, it kind of just validates like, okay, well, I can understand that this is not for everybody, but it's definitely for me. Yeah. So I appreciate that. It's bleak, though. I don't know. It's of course kind of it's movie. for you, then. Yeah. It's dark, it's bleak, it's depressing. <laughs> I like it. So, it's, yeah, you know, that's what you need to get. So, so I yeah. definitely recommend it if you're into, like, weird Charlie Kaufman. I think if, if you, you like, like Charlie, Charlie Kaufman, Kaufman, you're going to like it. But, I mean, this is, this, is, this is distantly away from, you know, adaptation and being John Malkovich have an air of comedy to them more so i mean eternal sunshine is is less but at least that's it's not an unhopeful movie whereas mm-hmm. his movies that he's directed uh are skewing more toward like the the darker sides of uh, human nature uh, yeah. and human behavior so um yeah I, I i loved it so there you go and then we'll swing over to the next movie we uh, are going to talk about, which is King of Staten Island. So we rented this. Uh, this was... We paid for this, didn't we? Yeah, we didn't pay. It was a movie that was supposed to go to theaters, and then they put it out digitally for 20 bucks. We waited until it was like a regular rental price. And I'm glad we waited. On Amazon Prime, right? Yeah, but no, it's not on It's on all platforms. Oh, okay. You just got to rent it. Um, okay. So this is Judd Apatow's new movie. It stars Pete Davidson, and it's kind of... Um, you know, it's very similar in structure to Judd Apatow's other movies, like, you know, think the 40 year old virgin as a star vehicle for Steve Carell or, or, or Amy Schumer in Trainwreck. Um, it has that structure to it. Um, Pete Davidson is playing someone of uh, arrested development, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, it is loosely based on his, uh, he, he, his, he, Davidson, who's on Saturday Night Live, he, his dad actually died in 9-11. Yeah. Um, he's a firefighter. They, they, the movie kind of omits the 9-11 stuff, but he has a dad who's died as a, a firefighter. And it's kind of the story of him trying to finally grow up. Um, Marissa Tomei is his mom. And, and she's so good in fucking everything. She's so good. She's great in this. Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm usually in the bag for Judd Apatow. I yeah, like his movies. Too. I don't mind that they're too, you know, they're, you know, I think the knock is that they, everybody thinks they're kind of long. Which I think they are. They can be, but I, I, like, you know, I think how he's just defended them is like, well, I like the characters. I like to spend time with them. We watch TV shows where we go on for hours. Like, I don't see a problem. And I kind of agree with him. Like, when you're, when characters are working for you, when the narrative is working for you, like, length is not an issue. I think, unfortunately, with this, like, the, the character just wasn't working for me. And therefore, it didn't, it wasn't, didn't seem too long, per se. It just felt like there was a lot of scenes that didn't work for me. Yeah, I wanted this movie to be a lot better than it was. It's just, it's, it's probably farther away from a comedy than his other movies a little bit. For sure. Um, you really, I think you have to be a Pete Davidson fan to appreciate it. I don't dislike Pete Davidson, but I didn't think he was particularly like great in the movie. I thought he was okay. 
it felt like he was being himself and he was trying to act. Yeah. And, like, you could see him trying to act. It'd be like, he's like a regular guy who's like, oh, this is the sad scene, okay, so I'm gonna look sad. Yeah. And he wasn't really, like, bringing that screen presence of really, like, feeling it. Yeah, and, you know, I think that that's... That's a little, that's, it's trouble. I mean, I mean, I don't think anybody would say that Amy Schumer is a great actress, but for whatever reason, that particular story, maybe because it skewed more to comedy, that worked better on screen. Steve Carell saying, well, Steve Carell, I think, is a great actor. Um, that's totally different, uh, but, yeah. um, you know, but even like Seth Rogen, who's never really been uh, considered to be like a great actor, is more of a funny, funny guy, right? Funny performer, but, um, I don't know. It just has always seemed like he was able to do something a little bit more, something with a little bit more pathos that, than Davidson's able to do in this. The scenes where he was good are short-lived, but the, there are a handful of scenes where it feels like he he has that screen presence and that, that charm and that magic that he is, but then it moves into this other stuff that's more serious and more dramatic, and it, it does not pull off. Now, but- him fucking around with his friends that's like that feels like him just being himself yeah and i i think that what the dramatic stuff is not particularly fresh in a in a weird way it doesn't work now that being said i think uh apato is a pretty smart writer in general and therefore there's always going to be things to like about pretty much anything he makes and so it's not a total loss i mean it's definitely watchable it's just i think if you don't if you're not in it for Pete Davidson, I don't know if it's entirely successful. Totally. So that's the King of Staten Island. Okay, what else you got for me, Tyler? We watched the Disney Plus movie, uh, The One and Only Ivan, with our kids. That was a movie about the gorilla who's in a true fact-based, although... Inspired by a true-ish story. I, I confused the children when I said it. I was like, this is based on a true story. And then within a second, the animals are talking. And they're like, wait. And we're like, what the fuck, Dad? <laughs> the animals are talking. I was like, well, the animals talking is not real. Um, but there was a... In Tacoma, Washington, there was a... Uh, back in the 70s, a gorilla who, who lived in this circus-like place in a mall, and uh, they eventually w- were able to release it, and that's kind of what this movie is about. Uh, Sam Rockwell is the voice of Ivan in the movie. Uh, Angelina Jolie is in it, which is weird because when I... I didn't... So it's, well, it's a book. It's a popular mm-hmm. book. It's kind of a young adult... Uh, yeah, Marion's class read it in back mm-hmm. last year in third grade. So, and she was, so she was a year to watch it, but um, I didn't know much about it, and then you think... Angelina Jolie's doing a voice in a movie, and it's like, and Brian Cranston is the human, real, like, live action, uh, owner of this place, and he yeah. seems like an okay dude, and, you know, like, animals are happy, and it's just like, this is weird, like, yeah, I, what's happening here? Angelina Jolie, I know, is a, you know, pretty, pretty active, you know, she's an activist, she, you know, cares a lot about a lot of these particular issues, and I thought, like, that's weird, so like, this movie's gotta be taking some kind of turn, and it, it does, but it, I, I was surprised at how kind of, um, surprisingly nuanced it was yeah. in making that turn. Yeah, it was not obnoxious like animals in cages are bad. It it didn't make the Cranston character out to be this like overtly villain. He's not a villain and I think it's important and I and I I go back to, you know, it's it's ultimately a movie about how we probably shouldn't have them in these tiny little spaces yeah. in a mall and I that's that's totally right. But it has this. It has the intelligence to make the Brian Cranston character kind of go along the journey of understanding that too. And yeah. he's not perfect, and he has issues, and he he's desperate, and he's got a lot of issues there. But he's never. 
His uh, intentions were never bad. He wasn't like, I'm going to get a bunch of animals together and be mean to them. And it is weird because there's like a certain, I won't say, but there's a certain scene where a character uh, goes away. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, that seems like something really, this was very irresponsible. And I, I preventable. was wondering why that was kind of glossed over. But um, ultimately, I, I did like... Um, what the message was, while still being like a talking animal. Like, it was a tolerable talking animal movie, and the kids enjoyed it. And Danny DeVito is the voice of a dog. And, yeah, I mean, it was okay. It was supposed to go to theaters, too. But anything smaller, mid-budgets, just going straight to... Streaming. Straight yep. to streaming these days, so... Yeah, worth watching with your kids. Yeah, good good, good enough kid movie. Mm-hmm. It was something to watch. Um, okay, so then I saw a couple other movies without you. Of course you did. I watched uh, a movie called Miss Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a movie about a woman who, back in high school, won like the her Miss Juneteenth pageant. Um, it's a you know she's African American in her community. It was like it's a, you know about the history of Juneteenth, but also just like a pageant or whatever. And it was like a scholarship, and it was a great win for her. But then she gets pregnant really early. She ends up losing her scholarship, and so it jumps ahead, and it's about her getting her daughter into the pageant, and it's. Oh. Um, really low key, but really quite good. Um, some good performances and just, um, yeah, just a, it's a small movie, but it's kind of, it's just thoughtful without being overly negative about a pageant, which I think is kind of the easy route a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think it's just a, it's a movie about two women in particular, a young woman and a, and a, and an older woman. And it's, I, I don't know, you just more of that's good. And I enjoyed, uh, the movie. So was it more about, like, the female story or more about, like, the black American story? Uh, it's, I, what I appreciated about it is that it, it, it's definitely both, right? But mm-hmm. I don't feel like it's, um, excluded, exclusionary in any way or, you know. So you think a lot of white people showing up to this movie or watching this movie? I mean, it feels like up until this year, a lot of white people didn't even know what Juneteenth was. Yeah, and there's like, it's actually kind of an awkward scene that where a person does kind of explain it, which mm-hmm. feels like, like, oh, we're still, we're having to do this. And they're like, hey, white people, yeah. we know you didn't learn this it's in like, high school. Thanks for coming to our movie. Here's a little bit of history. <laughs> um, so there's a little, there is one little awkward thing of that. Otherwise, it plays it pretty, um, you know, it just kind of assumes that it's there and you have to Because there was it. sure shit no Ju- Miss Juneteenth uh, pageant in my high school. No. Well, right. And it was, it's set in Oklahoma and, or that, excuse me, Texas, where okay. um, that, you know, where that happened, the what the, what the holiday is about. So. But where what happened, Tyler? When word finally got... <laughs> I'm just fucking with yeah, you. Yeah, that the slavery was I'm just abolished, right? It took a couple years, which is insane. But, yeah. Um, anyway, um, but it's, it's pretty good. It's very low key. You can rent it. It's only a couple bucks. So, um, the other one I watched was never, rarely, never, rarely, sometimes, always. I always get them out of order, even though that it naturally goes in the order that you would think it should be. Never, rarely, sometimes, always. This is a movie about a young girl, a 17, 8 year old, 18 year old lives in a small town. She gets pregnant. And she goes to her local clinic, and her local clinic is all about, like, this is a videotape of what a fetus is, and you're alive, and you definitely need to keep this baby. Well, she uh, decides that's not what she wants to do, so she travels to New York City with her cousin to get an abortion. Um, it's kind of a slice of life, kind of just like this journey. They have little to no money. They have to mm-hmm. take buses. They have to... There's complications when they get there, and uh, I wish I wrote down the lead actress. She... 
the two the two girls are so good. It's a great, um, you know, low key movie, and in, in, it really comes together in the sequence that the title refers to, um, and it just becomes a much more layered and complicated look at these people because then you kind of come to understand some things about um the character and where she had to you know what she's coming from essentially um it's a movie where it's every <laughs> every male character there's not a lot of like there's not many real main characters that are men but there's just this it does a really good job of just showing like the inherent shittiness of having to like be a woman a young woman in particular anywhere mm-hmm. and like there's just always a little bit of like is this guy in the bus talking to me like he seems nice but he also could kill me like and that is just like this inherent thing that runs through this whole journey and i think is very representative of probably how a lot of young women feel <laughs> when they're surrounded by people they don't know and even people that they do know yeah i don't think that's limited to just young women no it's all women no probably no we're and, constantly in fear of being murdered right uh, and but this is a story about you know two young younger women but um so i just thought that that was a nice touch and it just kind of started to flow through the movie and then yeah i mean where this movie goes in the last half hour 40 minutes is really good it's it's a great great performance by the two uh when we talk about it at the end of the year, I'll make sure I remember their names. And I'm okay. not even looking at my phone. But All right. Last thing I'll talk about, uh, there was a movie last year that came to a couple theaters and went straight to video, but I didn't watch it. Nicolas Cage, a movie called Primal. He's Nick a, Cage. He's a big game hunter, you see. He got a Ew. rare uh, puma, or I don't know what it was. It's a tiger. I can't remember already. It's CGI. A big cat. <laughs> it's a big cat. It's CGI. doesn't look great. But anyway, that's not really the part of the plot of the movie. He's already captured. He hasn't killed it. He's captured it. He's taking it to his uh, mark or whatever over on a boat. And there's a murder. The FBI or whatever bringing a murderer they got to bring on this boat. And it's played by Kevin Duran. You remember like Kimi guy from Lost? Like the dickbag uh, mercenary guy who's yeah. in a few? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. he's playing like this serial killer guy. Well, yeah. So he gets loose and he's wreaking havoc on the boat. So it's kind of like Under Siege, only Nick Cage is like a big game hunter. Okay. Yeah. It's something. <laughs> All right. It's like, it's other than the CGI cat, um, which looks really bad, and it, but it doesn't like have a lot to do, so it's okay. Um, it plays it pretty straight, like a kind of like a, a boat, you know, like a bad guy on the loose, other cool. people getting killed. That it, sounds like a fun romp. It's cheesy. Um, Fonk Jansen's, it's like, it's got a weird, like, odd, oddly overqualified cast for what is essentially like a VOD movie. Mm-hmm. But Nick Cage always giving, listen, he gives his all. Every time, man. I appreciate him. I'll watch anything with Nicolas Cage. We know. Yeah. We know. Is it a good movie? No. But it's not bad. And but that's was it, something. Like, fun to watch? Yeah. Yeah. Then that's, that's good. <laughs> it's on Hulu. There you go. Spin it. They and they correctly on Hulu. They either either they did this for everybody, which I would really appreciate, but they did it for my profile in particular. It's like, hey, you asshole, here's a Nicolas Cage movie that you're gonna want to watch. It's like the first thing that comes up on my uh, profile. And that it's not Primal Fear. No, it's Primal Fear. That's a different movie we could do for this podcast. With, what is like, that? Richard Gere. Isn't that the Ed Norton is the, the lawyer movie? Primal Fear. Well, what do you remember on that? Let's make you write it down. Nada. Yep. So I watched Primal. That's it. That's okay, all I got. so to recap, we watched I'm Thinking of Ending Things, yeah. Do It, King of Staten Island, eh, the one and only 
Ivan. Mm-hmm. Never rarely, sometimes always. Yep. Miss Juneteenth mm-hmm. and Primal with Nick Gage. You know it. Now we're going to talk about our feature film, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yet another John Hughes movie that we've done. We're doing our back to school, uh, September. We've last couple, uh, September, we've done at least a couple of, uh, school centric movies. That's right. And we've done a lot of John Hughes, but we haven't done a lot of like the John Hughes that people. Classics. Well, we've done like the 90s John Hughes, which is Home Alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but and, like we did Dennis the Menace, which is like a John Hughes. The script. ones that like you're like, John Hughes did those? He movies? wrote, well, he wrote them, right? right? And so this is like, you know, we're going into his teen comedies, uh, with Ferris Bueller here. So. Yep, 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 yep. There was some debate between the two of us whether we were going to watch The Breakfast Club or Ferris Bueller or, uh, 16 Candles, but we ultimately settled on. We will eventually get to those movies. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes. Yeah, really quiet. Like you're about to say something sultry, Tyler. No. Okay, so we're going to talk about Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. But before we talk about the movie, what do you remember? Do you want me to go first? I'll do you go, first. go first. You always like to go last because you think you're funnier. I don't. I don't. I, I don't think mine's like, funny. No. I'll go first. What care. do I remember? This is where we sit down and write what we remember. Right before we watch it. So if I were to write what I remember about Primal Fear right now, I'd be like fucking nothing. Is that does Nick is Nick Cage in it? Yeah, that's is there what a I'd big ask. cat? Yeah, I feel like I can remember the poster or the the VHS front, but not the what would what does that look like? I don't know. Maybe I'm just envisioning Face Off now. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you are. What do you what do I remember <laughs> about Ferris Bueller's Day Off? I remember people loving this movie, and I remember not loving it. My favorite part. Hmm. is when he sets up a whole bedroom scene to trick his parents into believing he's home with the snoring recording and all. Very home alone party with the mannequins dancing. Mm -hmm. Which, from a kid's perspective, is great. Overall, I remember Ferris being an irresponsible little jackass. Mm. And maybe it's because at the time I watched this movie, I loved school and didn't get why he would go through all the trouble of pretending to be sick to skip school. I clearly missed something. So, you gotta put a pin in that home alone reference. We'll get to that. But on my, uh, what you remember, I think this is interesting because I think what my, what do I remember is very much been influenced by your general attitude about this movie <laughs> uh, over the last few years. This is what I wrote. I said, what don't I remember? I considered Ferris Bueller an 80s classic back in high school. Watched it a bunch. But now I haven't seen this movie in years, maybe as many as 15 years. What's changed? Why don't I ever want to watch it? Have I outgrown it? Is Ferris Bueller a dick? Yes. Is the answer to your question. Okay. I'm not so sure about that. Now that you, now that we rewatched it? I'm not so sure about that. Cause I know that there is a narrative out there, maybe similar to the Zach Morris's trash narrative. There is? When is you want to listen to us talk about that, listen to our sister podcast, Saved by the Bell of the Max, but. Sister Mr. Podcast. Sister Mr. Podcast. Uh, but no, there is a little bit of this, uh, it's not, it's not loud. I think overall the, the, because I've only ever talked to people who loved this right. movie. Right, and overall, it is still a highly beloved 80s comedy. Well, but I... Well, go ahead. There is this... There is this lingering attitude that Ferris Bueller is kind of a dick in the movie. I don't movie. believe you. I feel like I'm the only one who has this opinion. No, because... I, no, I think it's it's out there. It is, is out there. there. Did you, you go on the internet if and you, look? No, well, no, not this time, but I feel like if you uh, go to like the, the Twitter machine... 
you type in like hashtag. I'm a fucking old millennial. Punch, I don't use Twitter. Punch sign. Uh, punch sign. Hashtag. That's it. Hashtag. I said hashtag sign? the first time. Pound sign. Who the fuck are you? I don't use Twitter that much. Uh, I think if you typed in Ferris hash, pound hash. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Ferris Bueller. <laughs> You'd find like Ferris Bueller's a dick or something like that. I, I just think that that's out there. I could be wrong. Well, I mean, or I've just listened he, to you for years. He is a dick, but I think um, what I remember about this is what year did this movie come out? Eighty six, nineteen eighty six. Let's do some high stats real quick. Great. This is a segment where we talk about the high stats. High stats. So Ferris Bueller's Day Off um, came out June eleventh, nineteen eighty six. Summer. PG thirteen. One hour forty three minutes. Mm-hmm. It was written and directed by John Hughes. It's it star. Oh, go ahead. It's one hour and forty three minutes, and it's wall to wall because even the end credits has a scene that goes it's on. True, it is wall to wall. Wall to wall. One forty three. It stars Matthew Broderick as Ferris Bueller. Yep. Alan Ruck as Cameron Fry. Yep. Mia Sarah as Sloan. I don't know who that is. It's Jeffrey Jones. Mm-hmm. Is <laughs> Ed Rooney? Oh, this is uncomfortable. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. Jennifer Gray. Jennifer Gray is the sister. Jeannie. And then, oh, uh, Edie McClurg, who she's you've a, seen in so many things. She's, she's a secretary. receptionist, secretary, yeah. yeah. She's pretty pretty good in the movie. Uh, Charlie Sheen briefly at the end. Ben Stein. We'll talk so about those, the Ben Stein those scene. are your heavy hitters. Yep. And let's look at the budget. What do you think the budget was, Mr. Tyler? $15 million. It The budget was $6 million. Oh, cheap. Well, John, I, I should have went lower. I know John Hughes worked on the cheap back Six in the day. $6 million. That's, that's like a free movie, basically. The 80s, yeah. Well, you know. Um, opening weekend, it made its $6 million back, and then uh, it grossed uh, $70 million. That's a great return. That's a huge fucking Is that dom- just domestic? Yeah, it says worldwide, too. Says, oh, well, so I don't know. Not, I don't know. It was a hit. That's for sure, and it's definitely endured, obviously, uh, through the years, to the point where... Even Matthew Broderick has done, like, the rehash commercial for some car thing, and they've mm-hmm. done, you know, all sorts of stuff. And it lingers the, the uh, Deadpool movie, uh, Ryan Reynolds parodies the end of this movie with the post credit sequence. So. Which, at the time, I did not totally remember that that was from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Really? <laughs> and you're giving me, like, are you fucking retarded? They even book? do the chicka chicka. Like, that's, like, the most mean, overt that, thing I in mean, the world. I mean, yes, but I didn't, like, bring to mind Ferris Bueller. Got it. Okay. Chicka chicka. Yeah. So we probably have to pay for that. Uh, we've we done do it twice now. We do not need to pay for it. Um, okay. okay. What do we want to start yes. with? What I will tell you okay. is it was 1986 when this movie came out, mm-hmm. which means I probably saw it in 1990. Later. Maybe 92. I was in elementary school. Do you feel like you saw it that young? Yeah. Okay. I don't feel like I saw it until maybe at least middle school. I, yeah, I definitely saw it in elementary, maybe even, maybe even middle school. Really? E- either way, I liked school at that age. Mm-hmm. Like... I was good at school. I had friends at school. School was the fucking bomb. I hadn't hit high school yet where, you know, you get into your fucking late years of high school and you're like, fuck this place. It's stupid. There's no value. I hadn't reached that point yet. So I think that my core beliefs of this movie are cemented in the thinking of basically an 11-year-old who's like, school is cool. What's wrong with this guy? And the sister's smart. Why she made out to be such a fucking bitch. Okay. Did not like that. Felt yeah. like that was super sexist. I got thoughts on that, but, um, okay. I want to, I want to, there's personal things we can get into with the movie. I, I do want to acknowledge right off the bat, I think it actually is a pretty structurally uh, solid movie. Yeah. And in the regard that it is, 
you know, it's immediately breaking the fourth wall. He's talking to the camera. He puts up a little list of things about how to convince your parents. Which to, was so cool in 1986 right. that that was... It's not like this is the first yeah. time it's ever happened, but it's popularizing it. It was yeah. aimed toward a young audience. I just like things that are fresh in that regard, and I think we have to give it its due for being in fresh in that way. Yes. And having a character who, you know, is is cool. He's a cool guy. You're supposed to be kind of like on his side, right? Because we're being told to be on his side. As a kid, that makes sense. Okay. So I think it's important. I think the movie is relatively, um, despite it being very, um, what's the word I'm thinking? Episodic almost. uh, Once the the actual day begins to the point where I think I was even reading like they, initial uh screenings of the movie test audiences saw like certain events happen in different sequences and it didn't te- like the museum didn't test well when they showed it in the movie originally and they moved it to something afterwards and it tested better like weird and that the point is is that you can move things around it, actually it does create one logic issue for me yes. with that baseball game but uh yes. it feels like the, the man baseball if the way they have did they leave it the third this inning this was the longest fucking day ever yeah for them yeah they really packed it in but i mean let's just be honest they couldn't have stayed at that whole baseball game they wouldn't have had time no. to get it home no no way no way um they also kept annoyingly going swing better, swing better, swing better, but they're sitting like on the left field line, yeah. way you know, out there. It's the like, batter can't hear you out there. That works in like high school baseball. Yeah, or little league baseball. I could even talk. You, I could even accept it if they were sitting a little bit closer to the batter. There's no way the batter could hear you out there. No way. Now this year, there's no fans, and you were the only person there. Yeah, they could hear you. So, question: Were they doing that from something else? Um, because I remember everyone doing that is when we were kids, but did it come from something else or did it come from Ferris Bueller's Day Off? I think it's been around. Um, the way that, or is uh, it just a thing? The, 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 the string of words, the tone of it might be very distinct to Ferris Bueller. Um, just the way that like Cameron does it. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Well, what are you doing? I was squeezing my water because it was making a. Oh, I thought you were going to give me some out of my tea thermos. time with Tyler. Um, so I'll acknowledge that. Now, you seem to have some issues with the Ferris Bueller character. Well, yeah. Okay, so what it seems to stand right from the beginning, you're annoyed right off the bat well, when he's tricking you know, you his dumb I'm, parents. Who I'm really annoyed with mm-hmm. at the fucking beginning is the fucking parents. Okay. And, you know, I think watching this as a kid, I don't... It's, it's the, it's that classic transition of the role of parents where at some point in our childhood, they became fucking stupid. Oh yeah. They are not to be trusted, easily fooled. You can't go to them for anything. And I feel like that's, that wasn't good for our childhood. I think it set up this like, this culture of disrespect towards parents. But we are on the verge of like, you will fucking respect us or I'll smack your ass. There is no adult in this movie that comes off well. No. Not a single one. No. All the teachers are horrible. The administrators are horrible. Yes. All the other adults are either sniveling or unhappy or yeah. they're stealing their car. Yeah. Or there's always a negative, right? Yeah. The cops don't believe Genie. I mean, it's just, it's there's awful. not one adult. True. It that is, is across all adults. But the parents are so stupid. They're rather so, dumb. So, right off the bat, I don't like how Ferris Bueller is faking being sick and how he's doing it. It's so obnoxious. You I and Genie are the same person. I just, I think I am the Genie character. So yeah. if you're wondering, what's Angela really like in real life? It's fucking her. And yeah. I'm like, I will fucking kick your ass later, yeah. Ferris. This is bullshit. And she makes some comment in the beginning. So he's pretending to be sick. Uh, and she, she's just like, 
like, I can't stand him anymore. Like, I don't even want to, I don't, oh, she says, uh, that's it. I want out of this family. Like, agree, Jeannie. Your parents are fucking worthless. They're pretty bad. Yeah. So I could see if you relate to the Jeannie character that you would be very pissed off at Ferris Bueller right from the onset of the right movie. Right from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, I the actually way really... he's sniveling and the way he's like, mm-hmm. he's like, I'm sick and I'm doing this, like, baby talk. Ugh. It's bleh. not convincing. It's over I don't the top. like it yeah. when, like, grown people do baby talk. It, bleh. Yeah. It's awful. It's, it's odd. Um, yeah, I don't, I came to, pr- I definitely appreciate the Jennifer Bray, Gray, uh, genie character this time. It's more you than, love me. more than ever before. <laughs> I, I really like, well, it goes to my general idea of a lot of characters in this movie have pretty strong character arts arcs, with the exception of Ferris Bueller. Yeah, they um, all have growth. They discover yeah, something. They learn something. Maybe not Sloane, but again, that's odd. But uh, but yeah, Ferris Bueller is. We were discussing this a little bit after we finished watching it, and it reminded me of obviously this came later. But he is in this movie an un. He, he's he is who he is from the beginning. Doesn't change. Yeah, he's confident. He's bold. He takes chances. He's fun, right? Yeah. I would say you're totally right. He, I mentioned that he's like self-actualized. He has a philosophy about life. Yep. Like he knows who he is. He knows what he wants. He knows what he values. Mm -hmm. He's, he is not questioning. He's not confused. And in high school, that, that kind of, um, person, does tend to be popular. They seem to have their shit together. They mm-hmm. seem to just everything's working out for them, and it feels authentic to this character. It it does. Like he's not faking it, which almost frustrates me when there's no other deeper thing about yeah. him later. Yeah, because he doesn't change. And what I would say is what it reminded me of it, which came late. What I was saying was it comes later. Is this idea of like, you know, Jack Sparrow in the at least the first few Jack uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movies where. He's in the movie, right? Johnny Depp's Jack Sparrow. But he actually, I mean, he, he doesn't, he has nothing to do with the the overall character arc of the other. Like, he's yep. just there to kind of, like, mess with the other character's arc. Mm-hmm. He's going after his ship, but it's not, like, it's less important. Like, mm-hmm. it's he's just kind of there to be, like, the thing that kind of, like, throws the, the Molotov cocktail into the... Yeah, he's like a friendly antagonist. And, and that's what he does, essentially, for, for Cameron. But all, I mean, he's an antagonist. We have an antagonist in Mooney, right? But... <sighs> But he he's set him off, but he sets Cameron off too, and he sets Genie off, and so all of those characters go through arcs. Mm-hmm. Ferris Bueller does not, mm-hmm. um, and that's it's it's odd. It's a very it, odd way to structure a movie. It's frustrating because like there is one lesson that he could learn in this movie, mm-hmm. which is that maybe you shouldn't take advantage of your fucking friends. Yeah, it's not interested in that. It's, it's interested not. in him being. He's like. Eh. Being right to the point where Cameron, at the end, ultimately says, like, oh, yeah, well, no, I, you, you're you right, Ferris Bueller. I have been wrong this whole time. I need to change. And I, I struggle with that mm-hmm. message a little bit. I do like his growth, but I don't necessarily like that Ferris Bueller is kind of, He gets of like totally off the hook yeah. after being a peer-pressuring little shithead bully to his best friend. Well, Cameron says that he didn't, he could have stopped Ferris Bueller, and it had nothing to do with him, and he wouldn't have gone along with it He wouldn't have had to stop place. Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller was being a good friend to begin with. But maybe being a good friend was finally getting him out of the deep depression that Cameron was in in the first place. So, I, I think... I mean, it can be argued... That could be argued. Yeah, and I, uh, you know, he's not terrible to Cameron. I mean, he he gets frustrated and he gets him into trouble, but he does, you know, he apologizes when he messes up or he tries to be friendly he to him. He apologizes and then he's like, but I was right, right? 
Yeah, well, but he was right. <laughs> uh, was he, though? <laughs> they created a conundrum with the pickup, so he had to say that. Oh, um, my God. Okay. So, a couple... Uh, what's also weird about the movie, it takes a good half hour to get to, like, the quote-unquote day off of them out of out of the house or whatever. Yeah. But, honestly, I think, like, the laugh-wise, the first half hour is where all the good stuff's at. Yeah, especially if you're a 10-year-old kid. So, I mean, I really like, um, you know, I think it's weird how something becomes so popular, so iconic, that you just forget about it being why it became that way in the first place. And that's the Ben Stein thing, where he he goes through, like, his oh, Bueller, Bueller, anyone, Fry, anyone. Right. Fry. So... Anderson. To this day, like it's, we all know it. We've, they use the clip all the time and everything, right? The yeah. Bueller. And Bueller. I've, I've been like a facilitator of training and like if people are slow, it's mm-hmm. like Bueller. Right. Um, Bueller. It's, it's, it's actually a really hilarious. There's, it's two scenes and it's, it's, it's quite good. And the reason why it's iconic because it's really funny and there's a lot of reasons why. It's not just the Bueller Bueller. It's like the fact that there's like ten kids in the class with a, a last names. That's true. It goes yeah. through all that Anderson. Like it just it's that's great. And then we get to Bueller. That's great. But then it's like the faces of the kids who are just like zombified by this whole like, every just like, teacher. Fuck my life. But like the way that he answers, like it, what's great about it is he's explaining like um, voodoo economics, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just like anyone, anyone, or is like, did it or did it not? It did. Like he, like he asks the question and then immediately answers the question because he knows no one's going to answer yep. it. But he doesn't care that no one's answering it, so it just keeps going. And does anyone know what that says? Well, it says or something. So what is this? Is it something do do economics, voodoo economic? Like he just keeps answering the question, and I, I just, I find that um, very funny, and it deserves to be. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's. We remember it because it's good. Yeah, it's a good comedy bit. And then my favorite uh, scene in the movie is actually a Cameron moment. I think Alan Ruck is great in the movie. I think he's the thing that keeps he, it going. He is. How old was he in this? Very young. This filmed was he? And you know he'd go on to lots of TV. A, and he brings a level of maturity, kind of. He's he's definitely you know he's a kid. You believe that he's struggling. You believe that he's just horribly depressed. Um, you believe all that, but there's the spark, especially in the beginning, which I find. And this is where I think like. Yeah, I think Ferris Bueller's not being terrible this guy because this guy has a streak of um defiance in him. He has a streak of wanting to be that kid and to being funny and cool and great. Because the way he calls they trying to get Sloane uh, uh out of class two, his the Matthew Broderick's girlfriend. And so they he Cameron calls with his voice to get him out and pretending to be her dad. And Mooney thinks that it's Ferris Bueller trying to get uh her out you know, so he's just for thinking he's assuming that it's Ferris Bueller online and it's like, Oh, if my grandmother died uh, Sloan's grandmother's died, and, you know, he's like, oh, we'll produce the corpse, because he thinks it's Ferris Bueller, but then Ferris Bueller calls on another line to, and it startles Ferris the... Ferris Bueller's so smart with the calling of phones and well, this voicemails. Is his ninth, this is his ninth uh, sick day. He's got this plan. He's worked he's, it out. He's got it fucking down. But, like, this is just, these are the things that I repeat, and I used to repeat all the time when I saw it, it would be like, it, just when he gets mad at Mooney, he's just like, call me, sir, god damn it! God damn it! <laughs> it's like this uh, Cape Cod, like, Kennedy yeah. voice. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, Mind your cute P's and Q's, buster! <laughs> yeah. I can't do the voice, yeah, yeah, but... Yeah. Uh, pardon my French, but you're an asshole. <laughs> you, you got that down pretty good. That's pretty Tyler. good. I liked it. <laughs> Call me, sir. God damn it. God damn it. I like the god damn it. Um, 
And it's just... That yeah. was super funny. It's my favorite part of the movie. It still is my favorite part. It's still funny. And it's uh, it's not. It's not, a, it's not a Matthew Broderick moment. It's not a, it's not a Ferris Bueller moment. I mm-hmm. like Cameron, even though... Um, yeah, he's, you're not meant to think that he's, like, like adjusted or, or even deserves... F- f- I don't know. It's just he's such a depressive character, and it doesn't even make sense necessarily. But then I think his kind of dramatic stuff at the end with the car uh, does hit. And I think it's because Alan Ruck gives a really convincing performance of that strain he has with his parents. His parents don't see him. He's a rich kid, and they just they care more about the car and the stuff in the house than they do about him. Yep. I like it. I like the arc. Um, I like that he doesn't know what he's going to do, and then this is just like he's prompted to do something, and I kind of like that. So I think, like, well, Ferris Bueller, he's an enabler, and he's trying to get him in trouble, but maybe he's absolutely right. This is what he needs. He needs to get in trouble. He needs to break the the, the routine of, of depression. And so I don't think that Ferris Bueller is a bad guy. I think he is who he is, and that ties into... Uh, what Jeannie has to learn about Ferris Bueller, right? True. Because she's yeah. struggling this whole time. She's trying to get him in trouble. She's so frustrated that she's always the one that's getting shit on by her parents. Mm-hmm. And then it's Charlie Sheen, of all people, at the police station after she's been... Mooney's broken into the house later in the movie. She attacks him, kicks him in the face with a high kick twice, which I also find very funny. Just fantastic. Um and but then because she's called the cops, they just everything shit. The whole world shits on her. They just assume that she's prank called, so the police pick her up and bring her down to the police station. So she's talking to Charlie Sheen, and she's so angry about Ferris Bueller, and he's just like, and it's weird that it's like this cool dude who's on drugs. It's a very weird mixed message, right? Because there's this bad boy who's at the police station for drugs. He for looks, drugs. He looks hooked on drugs. Yeah. I mean, it's Charlie Sheen, but I mean, he, he looks was hooked on drugs at the um, time. But, you know, it, but the message is not wrong. Like, he's just like, why do you give a shit? Like, don't worry about him. Like, you're spending so much time worrying about your brother. Maybe you should just worry about you. Do something for he's yourself. He's basically saying, do you, girl. Your brother you. is your brother. Like, this is who he is. This is Ferris Bueller is going to be the guy that skirts through life and everybody's going to appreciate him and he's, everybody's going to think he's really sick and dying and everybody's, it's going to make the, the afternoon newspaper, which is fast reporting. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a, the save Ferris on the water is that tower water mm-hmm. tower i mean the the lightning speed in which people rally around ferris bueller and you're gonna be shit on so but why if that's if that's what it is then why not just take control why fight against it why just and then that's a that see and then like that's a lesson that actually works so it works with both cameron and um and genie and then of course the other arc is it's not a like a character arc but mooney gets put through the fucking ringer for being a dick well, okay, so let's talk about him for yeah. a little bit. Okay. First, let's talk about how, uh, as an actor, well, outside of film... We know Jeffrey Jones has had some issues uh, later on. Has he? What are they? I don't uh, know. They're, yeah, we don't need to talk about Alleged it. or, like... Com- yeah, I mean, it's, you know... Yeah. Okay. He was... Let's just say, like, when the, when De- when the Deadwood movie came back around... Uh, the the creator let him come back for a brief scene, and it, people were upset about it. Oh, really? So we'll just say that. Okay. <laughs> Yikes! Yikes! I don't want to okay. get into it, but you know, there's people that'd be unhappy if he continued working. Let's just say that. Okay. So what I will say about uh-huh. this um dean of students, aka like the vice principal, He's a vice principal, sure, is then in the beginning, I'm actually as an adult on his side. Well, because this kid's skirting the fucking rules. And, and literally... And you're already against him because you don't like that he's, the genie's getting shit on. Exactly. So, 
like the scene where he's looking, he's calling the mom because she failed to fucking call him in. Mm-hmm. I mean, these personal phone calls to parents, man, the eighties were great. Now you just get some automated messages like you fucking forgot to call your kid in, and then you're like, oh shit, okay, yeah, it's not let's... that rude. Jeez, what have you never heard? I'm the one on the phone list, so that no, it's just like your child, blah blah blah. Is your that... child, Marion. Yeah. <laughs> Moron. Anyway, Moron. Anyway, so he's looking at his computer, talking to the mom, and he's like, "You're he's missed nine days this semester. Yeah. This semester. I can relate, because um, there was multiple semesters where I really ran up on that uh, ten days, which is trouble. This is why you love this movie. You were like, days off. You know why? But I was more Side like note. Cameron, where I was like, I'm sick and I'm going to sit in bed. Side note. I wasn't going off to the city. Side note. Mm-hmm. Opportunity to diss on your mom a little bit. Mm-hmm. For being a teacher... Mm-hmm. She's very cash about missing school. Oh, she don't give a shit. She's like, ah. She was, a, she, she missed more than anybody. Very cash. And she'll say because of medical reasons, but I'll say that she just wanted some days off. Yeah. She's just like, <laughs> oh, Tyler, do you, do you want to drive to Minnesota before school's out even? Oh, yeah. Let's go do that. Yeah, you can we'll, miss we'll a week of school. It's fine. Oh, yeah. They, she didn't care. She was, was like, a good student, though. Maybe it would have been a little different if she... Sure. She wanted to take days off. That's yeah, what it she was. she didn't care if you're a good student or <laughs> not. Like, ah, he'll figure it out. It's, she's we would cash. always leave. No, 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 we would always... Almost without fail, it would be like, spring break is this time. And then she's just like, yeah, but we can leave Wednesday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's three days? Yeah, get some bonus was like, days three, off. Like, three days? <laughs> like, even yeah. I would be like, that seems like a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to have a whole next week. What are we doing? Yeah. And just to go to, like, you know, Boise. Like, we've got nothing to do in Boise for... T- 14 days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So back to what we were saying. So he's, uh, <laughs> after dissing on your mom, he's, uh, calling mom. And then fucking Bueller hacks right into the goddamn computer. He's seeing that there's nine days off and then he sees it start clicking down seven, six, all the way down to two. That's pretty that good. motherfucker hacked that computer. That's good. Good for him. So I get why this vice principal is fucking pissed because he's got one job. You, attendance is like the the vice principal's only job, right? Oh, no, and discipline, which is mostly attendance. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like get the kids' asses in the. Seats. I only ever went in there one time. It wasn't for. I don't want to get into the story. <laughs> story for another day. <laughs> um. Yeah. No. It. So he's got like this. He's got like a sh- the shitbag mustache, the Jeffrey. I mean, it looks like he looks like Jeffrey Jones. So even though you might relate to him, he looks like an asshole. He looks like a prick. So you, prick is the you word. You don't mind. Oh yeah, prick is the right word. Mm-hmm. So you don't mind where. But it, I mean, as much as I hate to say it, it is kind of a pretty good comic performance. It is. Uh, like even later when he's like, "What's the score?" He's like zero zero. He's like, "Who's up?" And the guy's just like bears. <laughs> like, like he's a clue. He's clearly like just this whole facade, right? Yep. Um, so he doesn't have a, a character arc per se, but he does, you know, things go poorly for him and he has to go through a day where he gets his shit knocked out of him and he gets bested by Ferris Bueller, right? I think the lesson there for us though, as the, as the person, the young person watching it is that like, like don't get caught up into bullshit things. Like, like this guy shouldn't give a shit about this, but because he oh, is, yeah. shit goes so bad for him. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, if you had just not cared... He's like, oh, whatever, he missed a day, who cares? Yeah, like, your life goes on, but when you get caught up in bullshit things with bullshit people... Yeah. It's the same it's lesson, the same right? It's the same lesson that Jeannie's gotta learn. It's the same lesson that Jeannie's gotta learn, it's the same lesson that Cameron has to learn, and that... You, you, but he's punished for it, whereas he's Jeannie's not, puni- not punished. But to be fair, he does... Cameron's in trouble, not no, because Mooney's of... No, Mooney's punished. Mooney is, right. No, that's what I meant. But yeah. no, but Cameron, I mean, he... 
he, his actual trouble is because of his own outburst of getting the car and having it go over the edge. That's actually him. He's yeah, the one who actually ultimately that. causes his trouble, right? Yeah. And therefore he owns it. Um, but yeah, the other thing I want to say is that you mentioned, uh, you know, Home Alone, the Home Alone prank of, uh. Oh, the snoring scene. Yeah. I mean, I loved that scene. I mean, it, it's, it was so smart. But you, but this but time you're super mad because the mom, the mom like, doesn't understand. Like, she's so dumb. Mom, you're so fucking stupid. One, you can see that mannequin arm. Yep. It's a fucking brown, plasticky looking thing with like a, and, and just, and then he's really thinking on the fact that she doesn't go into the room because it's all this contraption with a trophy and weights and right. turning the thing on that only works if the person opens the door a foot. Right. Well, he, it's odd. He, which is cool from a kid's perspective. It is cool, but a from lot of his perspective, no. as elaborate of all as his plans are, they actually don't hold up well to much scrutiny because no. Mooney has this where he rings on the doorbell at the house and he's pre-recorded something. Well, he rings it again and it's the same recording and he yeah. obviously knows it's bullshit. Like, yeah. it's, I mean, it's thought out, but it's also like not perfect by yeah. any means. It's very funny. He has a similar setup for a Sloan. For calling, like, her mom or dad or whatever. and right, then it, the like, mortuary. Oh, here, and... well, here, call the mortuary number here. And then that's another recording that he made. It's like, man, this movie cannot exist today. <laughs> no. With cell phones. Basically oh, no. done. You can't do it. Um, yeah, so then the other thing about that, that Home Alone contraption, because we see that, obviously, when uh, the robber, the wet bandits want to come rob the house the first night, and Kevin sets up the elaborate, like... Michael Jordan train and the mannequins mm-hmm. dancing and mm-hmm. it that's written by John Hughes, not directed. But like it's odd how Ferris Bueller like it's is a you know, this is part of his teen comedies, but like the humor is like it's like the descendant of Home Alone. Yes. And of like the Dennis the Menace that we talked about. Like the Prattfall shit. Cause Mooney, like he basically is doing the Home Alone sequence of breaking into the house where mm-hmm. he's getting stuck in the mud. The shoe gets he's stuck in the mud. Kicked, but you know, there's like, a genie. Vicious dog. Cause he go, but he goes through. Yeah. I was, that almost, I had a bad, me- I had my wrong memory of like he's going through the little doggy door. And I was like, is this another movie where there's a doggy door in a house where there's no dog? Because on Home Alone, there's a doggy door, but they don't have a dog. They kenneled the dog, or someone's watching the dog. Maybe. I've seen that movie a lot, and I don't recall a comment about uh, kenneling a dog, but okay. Um, but no, there is a dog anyway. Yes. <laughs> and he gets attacked by the dog a, a bunch. A Rottweiler. But I mean, all of this, dog. all this stuff is just so much like, oh man, he really loves this shit, because he just would keep writing it in the movies yes. later. But it, you don't see that in other movies, so it's it has an element of delight. Well, and it, well, you did after Home Alone became such a monster hit sure. because that's all, I mean that was what the comedy hinged on. The kids, yes, but it was saw. only Home Alone. But this is a teen quote unquote yeah. teen comedy. It's got that pratfall type yeah. humor. But it, I mean, it kind of I mean there is a there is an artistry to it. Yeah, I would say there's an artistry to like it's it's for like physical humor it's i mean it's funny in home alone it's kind of funny here like it, it there were a few times that i laughed out loud or was like <laughs> there's an artistry to it or like even the way that he he thinks he sees ferris bueller at the bar or the restaurant and it's a woman and it's not that he because he says something inappropriate like i got your ass now or something like that yeah and she turns around and it's not just like that she spits a, like some soda on him through the straw. It's kind of just like the delay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's just a little bit of a rhythm to it that mm-hmm. makes it funnier than yeah. the actual act of like, oh, okay, she turned around and spit some soda in him. Yeah. Well, that's not very funny, but there's a rhythm to it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, okay. All the times that he almost runs into his dad, that's all physical. Yeah, very much so. Stuff. They have oh. to kind of hide it. Okay, then that's the other weird thing. So 
I mean, Mooney's pretty dumb. Because, my God, they show up that the, because he's, because. Like, what's his plan? That's the question. Because Cameron. Hey, Mooney, oh. you're gonna show up to this kid's house. What's your fucking plan? I don't know. Like, I was even in it. Before that, I mean, he, because Cameron, like, makes a mistake of saying, I want you, I want to see you out there when you, when I go pick oh, up Oh, in the Sloan. beginning with Sloan, yeah. And so they solve this by Matthew Broad, or Ferris Bueller, wearing a trench coat and a hat, and pulling up in the car that they've stolen from Cameron, and Mooney's out there, and Sloan walks up to them, and it's this, um, they decide to make out in front of him. And He's it's all, a father. Oh, you want to give your daddy wanna a kiss? Want to kiss for daddy? Want to kiss for daddy? So this, and then they French kiss. Mm-hmm. And then that, that part is odd to Mooney, but it's not enough to be like, that's not her dad. Like, it's not enough where you, why wouldn't you just He's run like, up? like, oh, and, so that's how they do it in their family, huh? Yeah, that's a weird joke. And it, it's like, oh, these people are so dumb. So that also has a problematic aspect to another, another part of the movie I want to talk about, which is, the chemistry between Ferris Bueller and Sloane in the relationship. We get the comments. There's a couple scenes where she's like, he wants to marry her. Like, oh, and then at the end, but she's, she's like, a I junior in high school and he's a senior. So there's there is a built-in conflict here where Ferris Bueller should be concerned that this relationship's going to have trouble because he's going to graduate, yeah. right? But really, it's Cameron who's ruminating on this, and Ferris Bueller just seems to be kind of like giving it lip service. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like a real concern for him at yeah. least not believably he says something but it doesn't it does, there's no feeling it doesn't there. land and i and it this relationship doesn't land and it's mm-hmm. partly because the first scene they have together is like you want to kiss for daddy and it's like this incest joke yeah. so that's weird right off the bat but then i don't know it just because we don't know anything about their relationship or why they're together or anything the dad doesn't even they, their relationship is such that she doesn't. She's never even been over to the house to meet the parents because they. She's the dad sees her in the taxi, right? And she's making like sexy faces to him, and he doesn't know who that is. And yep. it's like, this is a serious girlfriend, and you've never brought her home. Like these parents. I mean, the parents are pretty stupid. Every adult They're is very pretty stupid. stupid. Yep, yep, yep. But um, I just never. I don't. There's actually more chemistry, oddly, between. There's a scene where Cameron and Sloane talk about their. They, Ferris Bueller has kind of run off to do, join the parade and get on the float. And they have a Siegler, they're together and they're talking about, they don't know what they're going to do. They have insecurities. Ferris has it all figured out. And I don't know, there was actual bonding between yeah. those two characters. There's an actual spark of a, of yeah, a, a little chemistry of a, of a, they, you know, they're, 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 they're they, their souls align in a way mm-hmm. that the other two I don't see. Mm-mm. And then, I mean, even at the end when Cameron is like catatonic at the pool, and he's pretending to be catatonic, and then she makes a comment at the end. I was like, "Did you? You were catatonic. You were just joking or whatever. Did you see me undress?" And he like laughs a little bit. There's like a spark there yeah. that's not there between. Yeah, Matthew there's Broderick a tension. And, there's a yeah. sexual tension. There. I always thought like there could be a sequel where Cameron just snatches her right away from Ferris Bueller, and then you but see Ferris Bueller Ferris become Bueller a real even monster. Care? Would he no. even care? No, because at the end he decides to. He's racing home. And he's hopping through the yards and he comes across two ladies sunbathing and he, he's got to get there in time, but he still stops, turn around and say like, hi, I'm Ferris Bueller. Funny, yeah. but like, dude, I thought you were going to marry the other girl and now you're introducing yourself to other girls. You don't give a shit. That's what I'm saying. So, I don't know, camera could swoop in. So I like their relationship more than I like the... the uh, I would totally agree with that. And I don't think Sloan otherwise has much of an arc here other than just kind of being along for the ride. Yeah, which is obnoxious. It's it's a weird where you're two, like, y- what you would define as kind of like your two leads, although Cameron's definitely in the movie more because she doesn't show up for a while. But they don't, they're kind of static. They're not uh, changing characters. Mm-hmm. It's weird yeah. a little bit. She doesn't even need to be in the movie. Not really, and that's an interesting thought. <laughs> I don't know if... 
she brings value other than what she brings to the Cameron story, and therefore I want more of that, and I don't care so much about uh, her. I'm more, I think Jeannie's a more uh, developed character, yeah, and I enjoy her. She's also got that. Uh, one of my other favorite scenes from this was when Jeannie goes into the reception, the secretary's office, mm-hmm. and she's being such a she's so fucking pissy to the. To the secretary, but I think that's accurate. it's so funny. Teenagers are yeah. such no assholes. It, number one, it's funny, and it's just like yeah, the fuck, fuck that secretary, right? But like the way the secretary when she leaves, it's such she's great in the movie. She's got like the before when they're messing up the phone with Cameron on the phone with the the dad. That's really funny. She's got a lot of physical comedy there. But this when she leaves the office, she's like, what a little asshole. What a little asshole. <laughs> Love that uh, line delivery. Yes. Um, so I just, uh, yeah, Jeannie's a more interesting, uh, character. I like watching her arc and, and, and she ultimately helps him, uh, escape trouble at the end. Yep. So the, oh, go ahead. I, this movie got super, and I, we watched it last night and I was tired, mm-hmm. but uh, it just gets so sleepy there in the middle when they're like, they're doing the, the stuff museum. in the city yeah. and it's like, even the parade scene, I'm just like, this is fucking boring parade scene's weird i've always thought it's weird um it it has this odd surrealism to it in that number one ferris bueller hops on a float and it it, what i it's my 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 memory is that like twist and shout gets played like he's singing it and no there's he sings donka shane first and it's very clearly not him like I, I don't think the movie's trying to say like like he's tricking people into thinking he's actually singing. I think he is just doing a lip sync performance, and everybody is in on that, right? That's the correct reading of it. I mean, there's mm-hmm. just no way. And Matthew Broderick is a Broadway guy, and he can sing. It's just yeah. that there's no. They're not. It's not what it's trying to do. It's not yeah. saying that he's singing it, right? But it just takes on this weird surrealism where there's like choreographed dance. The parade is, becomes very raucous at some point. Like people are flowing into the streets. Like number one, it, what, is it like a Wednesday? Like what's going on? What is this parade for? Uh, I think there's like little hints of. I tried to you read see. it. it was something, something, something. And, but I mean, in the production, they like just said like, "We're hey, we're filming a parade scene. We need people to come down to Chicago." And people just a bunch of fucking people showed up, and it people kind of became like be a party. Extras. And they kind of like decided to show. And so. I've always thought it was a like kind of the weak scene of the movie, but I actually have a new I had a new appreciation oh. for it this time just because it was just so like yeah, they look at all those people. Like it's this weird thing where it's not just coronavirus. Mm-hmm. It's like twenty twenty film. We don't it's if we see crowds in movies, it's CGI most of the time. Yeah. So it, there is something to just seeing a bunch of people in a street in the middle of Chicago. I don't know. There was just an energy to it that I really actually quite enjoyed this time. Um I kind of like the Chicago's not a city I know very well. I've been a couple of times, but I do, I've always really liked kind of the, the travelogue of it a little bit. All the John Hughes movies? Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, I, I, I like that. I kind of like them going up to the, the formerly Sears, I don't know, I can't remember what they call it now, but, um, going up there. But yeah, I mean, the museum scene is odd. Uh, it seems like it slows it down. That's the one that they moved that didn't test well. Mm-hmm. Um, I get that. It does feel a little sleepy. And then, I think it, it, the movie kind of livens up with the car, dramatic stuff, and then you get, uh, another odd thing. <laughs> this is a weird movie. The, the dramatic stuff's over, and it's just a race to get home, and it, yes, that's the deal. He had a day off, he had still six, and so we have to get that, and so, it's a weird, it seems like a cheap way to kind of liven the movie up, but man, it's pretty fun. It is, but I think <laughs> The that, music's great. I think that makes that middle part feel even sleepier, because the whole time that, 
They're going to lunch, they're going to the baseball game, they're going to the, we're watching Rooney in between. I'm just like, when does it get to the part where he's hopping fences and, and trying to, the end. you know? And the end's good, and he's racing Jeannie home, who's getting chased by a cop, and I... Sometimes uh, a climactic ending, I though, like that, can take away from what came before. It, it That's what I was thinking this time, it's like, it, we have this Cameron stuff, and then he's out of the movie, and it's the only real dramatic stuff in the movie, and then it's over, and then we have, like, this... But I mean, it's fun, so it's just like I'm okay with it because <laughs> it's just a really fun like the it's the combination of the music and the what happens. Even like that thing where he stops and says hi to the girls is actually very funny because he sure. stops, you know. But it but it is but it, yeah, if you think about it long enough, it's like what a fucking asshole. Like he's yeah. gonna he's gonna marry the other girl or whatever. But um, yeah, but it, I mean, it works. I don't know. <laughs> so what do you where do you land on this? Because at the beginning you thought uh, it seemed like you you don't like Ferris Bueller. I feel like I've I've been trying to t- convince you, you that maybe you're, you're genie. Like... You don't need to be worried about whether Ferris Bueller is a good guy or not. I think he's ultimately a fine guy. He just, you know, he's got it easy. He's confident. He's cool. That's what that's confident, cool people do. They skirt through high school. Doesn't mean he's going to be successful forever. My take on this movie is my take on several John Hughes movies. Mm-hmm. Is that there are some really good scenes. Mm-hmm. And there are some good characters. But the movie as a fucking whole, I don't necessarily want to sit down and watch from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. I just want my favorite scenes smushed together. Okay. This one is the one, and I, I, I'm glad I rewatched it because I was concerned that, like, I, I think it's, it was a combination of maybe the chatter about Ferris Bueller being a dick. Maybe that was just you. Maybe it was, <laughs> like, the Matthew Broderick commercial, which, to me, I, anytime when we, like, go and revisit these movies through, like, some car commercial just kind of is irritating to me. Yes. And I just, I'm like, fuck you. Like, I don't need that. I don't even need the Deadpool reference. I just don't need that shit, right? So it kind of turns you off a little bit to something that you've seen a lot. And you just like, and, and, and every time you hear anything about it, it's like, it's Bueller, Bueller. And then you forget that there's a reason why you liked it in the first place. Yeah. And so to me, this is probably, I mean, Home Alone notwithstanding, because it's a fucking holiday classic. And you just classic. wrote Classic. But um, this is the easiest watch of John Hughes movies for me. It's just always one that, it, like, I was, it, it, even when I'm, like, being feeling critical of it, I'm just like, yeah, but I mean, it's, you know, it's Ferris Bueller. And there's a little bit of a, there's a little bit of nostalgic tinge to it. I think it's good enough that um, that glow is, is not a, a distraction. I don't know. I don't know if I want to watch Ferris Bueller's face ever again pretend to be sick. I just want to punch it with my fist. Now, you were thinking that... Do you think that Matthew Broderick is good in the role? You know what? Okay, so good question. Yeah. Um, I don't think that Matthew Broderick is a good actor in a lot of the things I've seen. However, now that we just rewatched this, I actually do think he was good in the role, and it was cast well for him. I always have wondered why... He's had so little of this later on in his career. You know what? I think here's my thought just right now in the moment. Young Matthew Broderick is cute and charming. Older Matthew Broderick still looks young, but is is lost the cuteness but and he charmness. never plays confident characters. Like not very often anyway. And I I, I he's He's so much more engaging in this. And maybe it's the writing. Maybe it's because he's not really... There's not an arc for him, and he doesn't have to do any heavy lifting. Yeah. I don't think... I've never thought Matthew Broderick's a bad actor. In fact, I've seen him in things that I have liked. But, I mean, you're right. We do see him in things, and it's just like... eh, He's just kind of doing the Matthew Broderick thing. And I I think of, like, horrible shit of, like... 
God, that horrible holiday movie you made, like Deck the Halls, or if we think of him in the Godzilla remake from 98, which we did an episode on, like, uh, he just doesn't, where the one way where that kind of performance works for always for me has been the cable guy, which is just totally yeah. a movie we should do for this show. Um, because it, it, he, it, it's required for what the, whatever the hell Jim Carrey is doing in that yes. movie. Yeah. And I've always kind of liked that weird balance and that kind of dark movie in a weird way. So that works, but yeah, I, I've always wondered why we can't have more. He did an arc on 30 Rock where I felt like he had a little bit, like a little bit of comic spark that I thought was good. Maybe he just needs, maybe someone needs to write him better parts, maybe. Probably. And now he's older, so he's in a whole different realm, but. Yeah, probably. Yeah, okay. I was just curious if he thought it was a good performance or not. I think it is, but. I think it is. I just don't love all, all of it. But I would say what's weird about Ferris Bueller's Day Off is that I think you take him out of the movie and I think the things that are good about the movie might still be there. I mean, I think it's an important, I don't, I don't mean that he's not an important character in terms of like sparking those other character arcs, but it is not like, well, it's such a weird, it's a weird attitude because I, I feel, I feel like, uh, at least in the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, especially like that's an iconic performance. Like it's great, but it, like it doesn't, ha- I mean, it doesn't, doesn't change. It's unchanging in a lot of ways. And it's just kind of another example of that, like where it's a character that is who he is and that's who he is. And it's just one thing, but mm-hmm. it's, it's a good thing. Yeah. But it doesn't, but the, the overall, dramatic arc of the story or even what happens is is less is it's less important what he's doing yeah it's odd it's a it's a unique way of looking at the movie well you heard that comparison here probably first ferris bueller equals jack sparrow (laughs) i don't know but what a fucking comparison no one talks about johnny depp anymore because we all don't like him now so um and then they made too many pirates of the caribbean movies where jack sparrow became a more central role but Go back in that first one, especially. He's he's not. He's just kind of a wrench, and everybody's he's a thorn in the side. He's a wrench in everybody's uh, Kool Aid. I don't think that's the right metaphor. Okay, Tyler. Before we wrap up uh, this episode of Old, Mullet I'm not doing Matthew Broderick movies because I can't remember anymore. Of them. I have a question Off for you. Off the top of my head, <laughs> can you name in the time that this is tea time with Tyler, where I refill my hot water tea bag cup with hot water, and you answer some random fucking question that I come up with. Okay. So, take us home, Tyler. Can you name, by accurate title, all of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies in order and go? Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Pirates of the Caribbean, On Stranger Tides. Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, At World's End is number three. At World's End. On Stranger Tides is four. There's one called Dead Men Tell No Tales. And there's another one that I can't think of. Who the fuck are you? I like you, the first three of them. That's you, why. You know, if you had asked me that, what I would have said? Okay, here it goes. Even now that you even just told them all to me because I was focused so much there, on my water. There's six of them, I thought. Here it goes. Pirates of the Caribbean 1. Pirates of the Caribbean. There's no numbers in two. any of them. Pirates of the Caribbean three. <laughs> it's Curse of the Black Pearl, uh, Dead Man's Chest at World's End. I actually like those two sequels quite a bit. They're messy, but I like them. Nerd. And then I don't care for On Stranger Tides. There's one On Stranger Tides. Dead Man Tell No Tales is the last one, but is there a sixth one or are there only five? I can't remember. The last couple of them haven't been very good. I'm not looking it up for you because I've already closed my laptop. 
Okay. Any final thoughts before we knock it out? What's your favorite John Hughes movie? I don't know. I'd have to watch them all and then make a decision. You know, I don't, I don't answer favorites unless I have all the information available and then I can have a ranking system and a point system and then have a matrices and then, you know. Incorrect. The answer is Home Alone. <laughs> Probably. He wrote Alone. it. He didn't direct it, but he wrote it. <laughs> Probably Home Alone. What are my other options? 16 Candles. You know, I, Club. I love those movies, but maybe only because other people loved them. So, well, I don't we know. can, I mean, we will eventually do more of these, but, um, I feel that way about The Breakfast Club, a movie that I, I, there are things that I like about it, but I, because I maybe came to it too late, I'm just like, eh, but I mean, you know, <laughs> like, you know, that's how I felt about it. We're old millennials, so they're, they were around. And in but 16 they Candles, out. I don't think I saw until I met, after I met you. Like, that was one that I had just missed somehow. Yeah. Um, Anyway, um, yeah, pretty probably, probably Home Alone because, um, I love you and you love it so much. But people don't think of it as a John Hughes movie because he didn't, you know, it wasn't part of his directing. It's true. Uh, it's true. Anyway. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Old Millennials Remember Movies. You know what to do. Uh, like, subscribe. Oh, wait, no, that's YouTube. <laughs> That's One of these days we'll get our shit together and do all those things. Fucking get on it. Share this with a friend. That's mostly what you can do. And go pop us over a review. We read them and we appreciate it. Pop and us over a review. Yeah. You know what I mean. Okay. All right, guys. We will talk to you another movie. Bye. Chicka chicka. Chicka chicka. It's so fun to do. It is.